Hey there, you are at Vernon First Baptist Church, where we are going through the book of the Revelation of Jesus. My name is Randy, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to get to preach from chapter 9. I tell you, I wasn't at first when I started doing some study on this, known as one of the scariest passages of scripture, and yet I really found taking the viewpoint of the early church, there is some good news here. And so I pray that you could take that viewpoint and really see what Jesus might have for you through it. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Dad, for praying so lovely like that for our needs. There is definitely uncertainty in our world. And in many ways right here at home. Sometimes we feel like we're under fire as Christians in some ways, don't we? Thankfully, it's not uh, literal, usually. How are we to respond to the pressures that we feel around us? I was taking a look back. Um, you know, it's, it's very rare that in any church we would be literally under fire, as happened in Istanbul, Turkey, just this weekend. Uh, church shooting. Uh, it happens in churches in the U.S. Even just in December, there was one. One thwarted in November. How do we respond to this type of thing? The persecution in our lives. Thankfully, there's a biblical response. The scriptures speak to it. And in many ways, that's what this vision, this revelation of Jesus is about. Now, I do want to say, someone asked me a couple of questions after last week's sermon as we started getting into some of the, the deeper stuff, the, some of the weirder stuff, the wild stuff of Revelation. And I'm so thankful that people came and asked some questions. So I want you to know that. If you have questions, concerns, come and talk to me. Please discuss it around the tables too, but you can feel free to come. Someone said that they had trouble uh, staying awake in service and my preaching, but they weren't blaming my sermon. So I don't know, maybe they were. I don't think they were. Uh, But feel free, any comments, you can come and chat with me. The first question was about the scorching of the earth. I mean, we talked about there, you know, a, a meteor, a star falling bittering the waters, and someone said, oh, they heard that maybe that's nuclear war. Is that what that is? And my response to that a little bit is, as we've talked about before, Billy Graham at one point was sure that it would be nuclear war, that that's what it was, and he was sure that it was going to be in the next few years from when the, the first bombs had gone off. That was his prediction. And So as I said to someone else, it will all be clearer when we are with Jesus, as Billy knows now. So my main answer to the question is, is uh, nuclear war, does that have any meaning to the early church? That's who this was written for. And the answer to that is no. This has to mean something to them. To John as a pastor and his message to the church of that day. 
Perhaps that will be part of the greater fulfillment, but we are not sure. So we can't say, yes, that's what, that's what this is talking about. It has to have some fulfillment for them. And then the second question was, well, pastor, won't we be out of here anyways, raptured before any of this stuff in Revelation happens? And as I mentioned before, the idea of a rapture is actually a fairly new idea theologically, as well as something like the literal seven-year tribulation. And though it's become quite popular, it's not as clear from Scripture as some think. And even of those who hold to a seven-year tribulation, and we're going to be looking deeper at that later in our series as we come to the days and years, there are three camps, and all can point to Scripture to back up their ideas. When we talk about uh, tribulation, the pre-tribs feel that we'll be out of here before all of any tribulation begins. There's mid-trib, who read the Bible and see us enduring some tribulation, but then we'll get out of here before it gets too bad. And then there's the post-tribs, who see that we are sealed and are harmed during the tribulation, so we must endure it and then receive our reward. So there's some debate here, pre, mid, post. I know when chatting with my good friend, Chaplain Chuck, he calls himself uh, a pan-tribber. It will all pan out like God wants it to. He's not so sure exactly how it's going to go down, but he knows God does. And I think that's a pretty good response. I think it's really good for us to remember the early church and that this vision, this apocalypse or a revelation, was given to them as an encouragement. And in a minor sense, a bit of a warning. Because of the great thalipsis. Can you all say that? Thalipsis that they were going through. No, I don't, have a, I don't have a lisp. That's the Greek word for struggle. Struggle. Uh, literally, it means pressure. Pressure on them. If you're going to make uh, grape juice for wine, they would thalipsis it. They would put pressure on it. And that's the word that's used for oppression, struggle, affliction, persecution that they were enduring. It's used over 40 times in the New Testament, this word thalipsis. Over 20 of those are translated tribulation. Jesus speaks of tribulation in John 16. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have philipsis. You have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. And sometimes it's used with the word great. And that's one of my favorite Greek words. Mega. That's where we get our word mega from. And Jesus talks about this too, Matthew 24. For then there will be a great tribulation, a megathalipsis, Jesus says, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Once again, as we talked about previously, he promised that that would happen within his generation, the generation of his disciples be fulfilled. Well, we see in Revelation, and we know from history, 
that the early church was growing through a mega thalipsis, a great tribulation. And the question we have to ask is how they would have received the gift of this vision, this revelation. How would they have received it? This pulling back of the veil to see what is going on in the spiritual dimension. Do not forget that the first thing they see, the first thing John sees and tells us about is Jesus. Then is a lamb in the center of the throne. And then the lamb as slain, slaughtered takes hold of the scroll of destiny, of history, and begins to open the seals. And that's when everything begins to happen. Jesus is showing John, and therefore the early church, what is going on around them as encouragement and comfort for them to endure the suffering, the tribulation, the thalipsis, the persecution and oppression that they were going through. And along with them, us, throughout history, the church, can look to these words and receive that same encouragement and comfort. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, we don't experience that type of suffering as much, that tribulation, do we? Around the world, there are many of our brothers and sisters that are. Experience great tribulation. Megathalipsis, they'd say, yeah, that's my everyday And we do not, not in the same way. So I can see how in our worldview, this all becomes future. This all must be in the future because we're not experiencing that. But the early church and many in our church today, tribulation is their constant and current experience. And whatever affliction we experience, it can be for our good, even if it's our anxieties as the early church would have been going through many. C.S. Lewis says this, some people feel guilty about their anxieties and regard them as a defect of faith. But they are afflictions, not sins. Like all afflictions, they are, if we can so take them, our share in the passion of Christ. And early Baptist minister William Tip Taft sought to convince us what sorrows, troubles, and afflictions attend all the followers of the Lamb. If we're going to follow the Lamb, we're going to experience the ellipsis. And that is what the first hearers of this vision were experiencing. They're sharing in the passion of Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. And they were calling out, How long, O Lord? How long? And as we saw last week, the trumpet judgments are in part an answer to their prayers. God will act with justice in response to the evil they have experienced that has been enacted on this earth. Just going right back to the first, to the first striking and shedding of blood, Abel's blood soaking into the ground. There was a cry for justice. Genesis 4:10 says, "The Lord said, "What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, a calling for justice, for making things right." And in the first four trumpets, we saw how there was a warning, a calling for all the inhabitants 
of the earth to turn to their creator and live in the goodness, the holiness, the true life and love of the Lamb. And now, now we come to the fifth and sixth trumpet in Revelation 9. And I encourage you to turn there as we're going to read through Revelation 9 in a moment. And I want you to listen to it. And yeah, if, if you don't want to turn, that's totally fine because I want you to listen to it as if you were the early church. All right? This, this traveling, this traveler is showing up and there's a scroll from John and there's something that they're going to read. You, you have people that you know that have been taken, tortured, killed for following the way of the Lamb. And your main pastor, John, the beloved disciple that Jesus has been exiled to Patmos. Beloved disciple of Jesus. He's been exiled, a labor camp. He may be killed at any moment. For all you know, he's already dead. And you may have had to give up your business. You may have had to move out of your nicer house into some hovel, maybe on the outskirts. But that's better than giving in to the temple feasts, to idols, and worshiping Caesar. And you may wonder when the Romans will be knocking on your door and ask you to say, Caesar is Lord, knowing that when you refuse, you will get to join those in prison who have already been taken. And maybe the martyrs, even, that have received their white robes, you might join them. But this traveler shows up and says that they have this scroll. It's sent from John, and you're to gather to hear it read. And you meet somewhere with the other followers of the way, the Lamb. But not too many, for fear that the Romans, or at least even the Pharisees might see, and they'll tell the Romans, and you'll all be taken away. So you're gathering to hear this. And you begin to hear the scroll read. And you see in your mind's eye the great throne room. And you hear the messages to the churches. You feel a little mix of guilt for your compromises, but also assurance in your faithfulness. You're inspired to live in the love of Jesus. And then you hear about the Lamb opening the seals. And you say, yep, that's what it's like. The horses are running. And then you hear about the trumpets and you say, God is going to act. He will not let us suffer needlessly. But a question remains. How powerful is our Lord? How will he overcome the Romans? This is an empire. The biggest empire the world has ever seen. They torture us. They abuse us. These are the ones who give us the mega Thalipsis. We know that we are sealed and sheltered, but is the Lamb strong enough? I'm going to invite our scripture readers to come up at this point, and you guys can come and stand at these mics. Thank you, Patrick, Lisa, Zoe. Let's see. Uh-oh. I was going to join with you, and I've lost my, my passage of it. 
We could share exactly. That sounds good. Yeah, I'm blue. Oh, yeah, you guys can share. Oh, yeah, or, we can share. Can you? Sure. Yep, yeah, 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 we can. Yep. Perfect. Okay. Good. We got it. <laughs> and we're going to read together this part. The reader's listening to the revelation, this vision. We get to the fifth and sixth trumpets. Now, there were no chapters back then, by the way. A little exegetical, textual, uh, critical view. There's no chapters. This would have all been read through all at once to stir the imagination and revive your faith. But we get to this part, and then this is what you hear. Hear the word of the Lord. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke of a giant furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened with the smoke by the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for the five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but it will not they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth was like lion's teeth. They had breastplates, like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name is Hebrew, is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, that is, destroyers. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. <clears throat> the sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horn horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard the number. The horses and the riders I saw in my vision looked like this. The breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow like sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of the lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with, having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of their work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, 
idols they cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tree. Now remember, you are a member of the early church, maybe in Ephesus or Laodicea. How are you feeling after you hear this? Of course, the readers of the vision would go on, and you're already hearing the next portion of the vision. But the moment you hear this portion, just for a moment, what are you feeling? Well, we'll briefly look at what you heard and then what it might mean to you. The fifth trumpet, a star fallen, might remind you of Isaiah. Isaiah 14 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Isaiah was prophesying against the king of Babylon at that time. Now, whether this star is Satan or another messenger, you don't have time to even ponder before the abyss is opened and smoke starts pouring out. Obviously, the smoke and the darkening skies are further day of the Lord imagery, reminding you that God is in action and will bring justice. And then locusts come out of the smoke and your mind goes back to the plagues of the Exodus and the prophet Joel who wrote prophesying, hear this, you elders, listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have eaten, the young locusts well, what the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. And you might begin to feel a little bit of fear until you hear that they have come to inflict pain only on those not sealed by God. The oppressors will experience what they have inflicted on you and on your Christian family. Now, you may have thoughts about revenge at some points. But you, in time and again, you remember Deuteronomy 32 that says, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. A key passage that goes way back to the law that you have held dear in these hard times, kept you from striking out on your own. And you've even heard that Paul has written a letter to the Romans reiterating this for the early church. Here is a promise that God will act. Now, how this spiritual realm attack looks, you're not quite sure, but you do feel comforted. Even the fantastical description of the locusts sounds like some of what Joel says 
When he talks about a mighty army without number, it has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. Even in your comfort, you might wonder, well, how would God command these demonic locusts until it's announced in Scripture very clearly that they have a king, the angel or messenger is angelos, this Greek word, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, the destroyer. So we have this image, and you realize God is letting evil forces come back onto those who have lived in evil ways. For five months, comes up twice. And you remember, the life cycle of locusts is about five months. In apocalyptic language, you would understand this means a shorter period of time. This doesn't go on forever. But they will suffer as they have made others suffer. And you might even smile a little bit of the irony of Apollyon. Apollyon is the one causing this pain, the king, as the Caesars often referred to themselves as Apollos. In the likeness of the Greek god, Apollo. And you might feel, ha ha, you Apollos, god of the sun and prophecy. Well, here's a prophecy coming your way. And then you hear the first woe is past. And you're like, whoa. And you think, two more to go. Whew. And you hear that the sixth trumpet is blown, and the four angels bound at the Euphrates are released. And a third of mankind are to be killed. And you know, of course, being a part of the Roman Empire, that the Euphrates is at the border of the Roman Empire. The Parthians, a great army known for riding horses, are on the other side. Of course, as you hear about these four angels, you're not sure if these are the same four angels mentioned earlier in the vision that were holding back the winds of destruction, maybe, or maybe these are dark angels, like the fallen angels that Isaiah talks about. Again, minions of the destroyer that are released to do their worst. All of a sudden, there are these mounted troops. Whoa. And you remember also, this is imagery from Joel. And from Jesus too. Jesus says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation has come near. Joel talks about mounted troops attacking. And like the locusts, this imagery is, is pretty jacked up. It's pretty intense. Incredible intensity of description. And the number of them, the number of them is meant to overwhelm you twice 10,000 times 10,000. This is the perfect number. 10 multiplied by 4, multiplied to itself, and then even doubled. It's not until much later you figured out this is 200 million. But at that point, you realize, oh, that's not what it's about. It's not about figuring out how many number it is. You remember the story in 2 Kings when Elisha prayed 
prayed to the Lord for his servant who was getting nervous, getting anxious. And, and Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills around them full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The imagery, you might not have got the number, but the imagery has its effect. You can picture an innumerable mounted force coming from beyond the borders of the empire like the plagues of old with a new ferocity of God's justice. Taking out those who deserve it. So what does this mean for you, the early church goer? When you hear all this, I think there's two things. One, you realize, I don't need to worry about these oppressors around me. God will take care of them as God takes care of us. When, you might ask, you realize, well, that's not for you to know. Nowadays, we can look back and say, Yes, there's a spiritual component to this attack. It's a spiritual realm attack, but maybe it was much more fulfilled in the fall of the Roman Empire when the barbarian hordes invaded, taking down the world's strongest oppressive oppressive regime to date. And perhaps there are echoes of future fulfillment that we don't understand yet. But for us, and especially for the early church, as much as you suffer, you can know that God will bring justice. Don't give in to the temptation to fight back in a violent way out of a bitter spirit taking vengeance. This is not the way of the lamb who was slain. He laid down his life for you, and you can take up your cross, turning your cheek, dying to yourself. Words of Jesus that once again make so much sense. So you don't need to worry or strike back. And secondly, you can live in the power of the Lamb. Let's not take a chapter like this out of the context of the entire vision. The lamb who holds the scroll, the lamb who is slain, offers us incredible power that you are free to serve those around you with the love that you have so freely received in Jesus. You don't have to worry about the persecution you might suffer. And maybe you are reminded of those who first shared that love with you, showing you a way of freedom from bitterness and sin, a way of truth instead of insecurity and lies and cover-ups, a way of life, true life, even if you are to die. Well, after this apocalyptic passage 
It's been described as the scariest passage of Scripture of Revelation you've ever heard. You are reminded that God has an ultimate plan for justice. That you are held by the Lamb of God. Sealed, sheltered. And that you can live by His presence in you. You don't have to live in fear. No matter how much thalipsis you endure. Even mega thalipsis. You can live with love. With a surprising sense of peace in the midst of it. Because of God's great faithfulness to you. This God that has given you life is faithful. Great faithfulness in all things, even in the midst of great tribulation. Let's pray together and then we're going to sing about his great faithfulness. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Even hard passages like this with just incredible imagery that at first we're not quite sure how to take. But Lord, we pray that we could see it through the eyes of the early church who needed desperately comfort and encouragement who needed that sense that you will overcome and that you will deal with the evil that they experienced every day. Or once again, we pray for those brothers and sisters of ours around the world that need that same encouragement. And Lord, for them, we pray that they could live in the freedom of your life because of your faithfulness to us. And Lord, we pray the same for us. We don't endure that same tribulation. But we forget every day to live in your love. Your truly nourishing righteousness. That doesn't have to give in to bitterness and fighting back. But can reach out to others in spite of their persecution. In spite of their snide remarks, in spite of whatever we have to endure, we can respond with your love because we follow the Lamb. So teach us once again by your Spirit in us, your empowering presence, to live in the security of your faithfulness to us each day as we respond to others and live out your true life. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I invite you to stay standing and to open your hands, if you so choose, as a symbol of receiving what God has for you from today. Maybe it's something that stood out to you in worship. Maybe it's from the Word. Maybe it was just seeing the kids here. Whatever it was, I pray that you can take something with you that will impact you each day. So as you go from this service, know that God is truly faithful. 
and that he will take care of you no matter what you have to endure, no matter what persecution, affliction, that he holds you as the lamb holds the scroll and that you can trust the lamb. So go in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.